Hello out there on the internet, I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Customs and Border Protection is scanning people's social media, the feds have arrested some swatters, and the FTC has ordered Ring to cough up a fine. This week on Cyber, Motherboard's premier cybercrime reporter Joseph Cox is back to walk us through the latest in privacy violations done by Washington and the private sector. We'll also take another look at the criminal world of sim swappers and auto swappers. JC, how are you doing? All good. Thank you for having me again. All right. So, Mr. Cox, the big story I wanted to cover this week is a follow-up to your swatting piece. It looks like the FBI may have figured out who some of the people are behind it. Uh, Can you walk us through the original story real quick? The original story we did was where we identified a computer-generated swatting service that was responsible for at least some of the swatting incidents happening around uh, the US at the moment. There's something of a nationwide um, e- epidemic of, the, of these incidents, and that's what the original story was. Now, this one is about uh, some particular people the FBI has identified that may be responsible for you know, some of the other swattings as well. This isn't to say this guy did all of the swatting in America because the issue is a lot, lot bigger than that. Um, but that's where we're, that's the context that we're coming into the story from. Right. This is one of the groups that is responsible for some of the swatting, but certainly not all of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there's going to be more to come for sure. You know, I'm in various Discord channels, Telegram channels, speaking to a lot of people, especially after the various pieces have come out. And uh, although it goes up and down, it's generally not slowing. You know, there is this constant drumbeat of swatting happening in America right now that people may be aware, you know, if if they go to school themselves or if they have children, uh, it just seems that at least every day or every other day, Somewhere in America, a school, a school is getting shut down because of these either automated services or manual uh, swatting services that we've been covering. So this this particular story kind of gives a little bit of light on the specifics of like one of the groups and what their specific motivations are. Um, I think we're going to end up finding, of course, that the motivations for all of these swattings are as varied as each individual swatting, right? Uh, but let's get into this one. So who or what is the comm? So how the FBI describes it is that the comm is a cybercrime group where, you know, they're in Discord, Telegram, maybe other chat apps. They're hanging out there and, um, you know, that's where they're coordinating. And that's where they're speaking. And, you know, in the piece, that's what we said. And I, I still think that's generally accurate. Although now, through actually speaking to more people since this piece came out, I would probably say that the comm is more of an umbrella term. You know, comm is short for community. And it's it's really not one group. It is a nebulous, not even organization. 
a nebulous community, obviously, of various different groups coming and going. Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes they're pretty um, uh, separate from one another. But generally, the com could encompass the swatting, like here that we're talking about, or potentially also, you know, NFT scams or phishing, or especially SIM swapping, whereas where which is where hackers will take over somebody's phone to then drain their cryptocurrency account or something like that. So. Although the FBI describes it as that, and I still think that's generally accurate, that is a bit, a little bit of nuance um, that I think we're going to probably carry on into more coverage going forward. And then underneath or within COM, you have kind of more defined groups, such as the one that we look into a bit more here called ACG. And, right. So what is, what's yeah. the deal with ACG? Who or what is this? So ACG is this smaller group, part of the com that this piece is focused on. Um, this piece is focused on the the arrest of Braden Williams, uh, and he was allegedly a member of um, ACG. And, you know, initially, um, Seamus Hughes, who is basically a wizard at PACER, which is the system for finding U.S. federal court records, he tipped me off to, hey, here's something you may want to look at because you've covered swatting. And he was right, and I go through it. And this person was arrested, it seems, more for the harassment of one particular person. And we'll probably talk about them in more detail shortly. But in one paragraph or in a few paragraphs in his court records, I found the mention of the COM and ACG. So I pivoted from that and then found more court records about ACG. Uh, I think Krebs is actually, Brian Krebs, the cybersecurity reporter, has covered COM before, which is why it's clear it's so broad, right? Uh, but this is sort of the first time that ACG has explicitly got some coverage. So they're basically a subgroup within this umbrella uh, organizational community. Who exactly got arrested? Braden Williams, I think is the name. Okay. And, you know, a young guy, it seems, for, I can't remember the specific charges, but it's along the lines of cyberstalking, that sort of thing. And that often happens where you'll have someone who gets arrested for one specific crime, but you'll find very interesting context in the court document that let you pivot and then talk about something more broader. You know, this piece is not, hey, this kid, this guy was arrested. It's like this group is linked to these nationwide swattings. Right. It's this is it's what this one arrest can kind of tell us about the broader phenomenon and also like what the nature of cyber related crime is in general right now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, yeah, found more court records, especially Telegram posts as well, because I'm already in a lot of these groups, right? I'm already in Telegram channels where the SIM swappers are, already in a lot of discords. You then just search for ACG in those, and then a ton of messages from the past few months come up. And I mean, to be honest, it's a, it's a matter of resources. I can't sit there all day, every day reading these Telegram or Discord channels basically so i have the archive there that i can go dig up when we get a court record like this i mean i could sit through all those telegram channels but i don't want to and i i don't think our editors would really appreciate that either is it a lot of stuff that's like um so you you kind of pulled out i don't know if funny is the word but in an interesting little detail uh from this person's uh, like online life this rap song that they had made is like the Telegram channel a lot of that kind of stuff? Is it like a lot of posturing and, or does that help happen elsewhere? 
it's definitely a lot of posturing, a lot of flexing, a lot of self-manufactured or self-perceived beefs between people, groups, sort of exactly what you would expect from young members of a hacking community, but really ramped up to 11. You know, this is what some of my reporting is going to focus on at the moment, and we've covered it before, but the sim swappers and members of the community a little bit more broadly, they have escalated, um, not just in the flexing, you know, making their own rap songs and that sort of thing, which may- maybe we'll play that in a second, but then also uh, physical violence as well, that I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, we absolutely cannot play the rap song uh, on the Oh, yes, song. because it's incredibly offensive. I actually totally, <laughs> I listened to it once and then I, I never listened to it ever again. So uh, it, yeah. it is it, uh, neither on the live stream nor on the podcast. Can we play this rap song? Um, mm-hmm. I, I did want to. We've played this kind of thing before on the show, but it is uh, beyond the standards of broadcastable material, even on the Internet, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I, do- I mean, what what say is that you know skirting around the offensive parts which obviously i don't i don't want to hear that it's interesting in that there are specific lyrics to sim swapping in there yes he makes references to i've just linked a coinbase account uh something about verizon i think t-mobile gets a mention as well and of course these are all services that these people are targeting as hackers yeah it's that that was the kind of what I thought was really interesting about the inclusion of this rap song is that it is someone bragging about their specific crimes and shouting out specific companies that they have been involved in or uh, screwed over. Or I just think that that's like an interesting phenomenon um, in the world of crime in general. Obviously it's not, it's not obviously not just cyber crime, but to see it in cyber crime, I think is kind of fascinating. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like that wasn't, really a thing i mean you you've always had beefs in in cybercrime when it was that back in the bulletin boards and you had different hacking crews and that sort of thing and they would you know make their ascii art taunting victims um and and people still do ascii art today but it has to be pretty damn good for you to take notice instead what they do is they shout out each other either their friends or their enemies in kind of poorly produced soundcloud mumble rap songs uh and we do we the the rap song is linked in the article itself if you want to listen to it which will be available in the show notes and i believe we link to in the live stream currently if you want to kind of hear what we're talking about it is like a fascinating artifact um but let's get a little bit more specific on the charges here and what this man has been accused of uh the other thing i thought was a really important part of the story is that as you said this is a harassment case uh, this story has a specific victim. Um, can you tell us what the court records tell us like about what actually happened here or what he's been accused of? Yeah, so Williams is accused of harassing uh, two people, victim A and victim B. They are, of course, known to the FBI, but they're kept anonymous in the court records um, because, of course, this is an harassment campaign and, and, and they are victims. But sort of on top of that, at least one of them uh, at the at the time of writing those court records uh, was a minor. You know, I think one was 15 and then her sister was maybe 17 years old. Um, but Williams um, started 
or started communicating with victim A, the 15-year-old, and they built up some sort of friendship, uh, relationship, friendship, or otherwise online. Williams goes to jail for other charges we mention in there, which are not related to the harassment. He then gets out, victim A has cut contact, and then that's when he starts harassing. You know, he orders tons of food deliveries to be sent to her house. He orders, I think, a bricking, uh, something along those lines, but it actually hits the wrong house. It hits a neighbor's house. Literally uh, hired that, someone to throw a brick through a window. Yeah, and that's an opportunity to talk about the what what they call IRL tasks or IRL violence. You'll go through Telegram and you'll say, hey, I'm offering IRL services, and it's bricking, it's shooting, it's kidnapping, it's robbing, it, basically everything you, you can imagine. And I've seen, uh, I mean, we've seen evidence of the shooting. The FBI has arrested somebody else for that. Brian Krebs reported on it, and then we reported on it as well. I've seen plenty of other evidence of brickings, uh, and then some other stuff that I won't go into just yet because we're still verifying it. But this is this is the sort of thing that low-level cyber criminals are doing. I mean, we're not talking about state-sponsored Russian hackers, mm-hmm. right? We're talking about <laughs> children, teenagers, uh, early 20s, I guess, who may have been doing Minecraft hacking, Roblox hacking, then sim swapping, and once sim swapping targets started to dry up and beefs between these people started uh, to percolate, they've stretched into the real world with this sort of thing. So that's where Williams comes in. He ordered this bricking to this uh, this victim, but actually hit the neighbor as well. So there's some collateral damage there. So something you mentioned I want to highlight is that sim swapping has dried up, which has kind of driven people to other crimes. Why Why was sim swapping so lucrative and why has it dried up? Yeah, I don't I don't have like data on that, but multiple people have told me that's why there's been the pivot to IRL violence. So I mean, first of all, sim swapping was very lucrative uh for two reasons. First of all, telecommunications network security uh in the US sucks ass. It's awful. Uh it's terrible on a protocol level and it's terrible on an account level. An account level being that, you know, I'm gonna log into your T Mobile account or I'm gonna take over your a uh, sprint phone number, whatever. Uh, and with that, you can then redirect text messages and calls, whatever, to your own phone if you're the hacker. Then you break into an email account. Um, why it was lucrative is because you could use that to break into Coinbase accounts or cryptocurrency accounts, and you could steal money that way. And um, I guess finally, the sort of the reason that it's attractive to these people is that you don't actually need a lot of technical skill at all to sim swap. It was much more about social engineering. You have some audacious kid, some really brazen kid who just calls up T-Mobile, pretends to be an employee or uh, pretends to be a customer to perform the sim swap. And you don't need to be an incredible hacker to do that. You just need to be brazen, right? And you just want to keep trying it again and again and again. Eventually, it started to dry up because telecoms did start to get a little bit smarter about SIM swapping. You know, generally, more telecoms now offer pins for your account. So if you want to change uh, 
if you want to swap your SIM, you have to also provide another passcode. And that's a little bit harder for the SIM swappers to get. So that makes it a lot more difficult. It dries up. Also, there's only so many uh, low-hanging cryptocurrency targets, or there's also only so many big whales as well. They really want to target a big, a big payday. So people just started to drift away from that and do other sorts of crime as well. Again, that's more anecdotal, but... That's multiple people have told me that in our own observations of what's happening in the in the community. Well, and also the shine has come off the penny on cryptocurrency, right? There's fewer people getting into it. Right, right, true. I mean, the value has literally gone down, right? So you know, it's it's even less of a valuable valuable uh, sort of expense now. And to be clear, uh, your earlier story on swatting really focused on these kind of like on demand services for people that were selling swatting services. Uh, and we are, we're not aware as far as we know that ACG uh, was doing this, correct? Yeah. The evidence in the court document says that this person performed this SWAT, this person performed this SWAT related to, you know, alleged ACG members. I haven't seen advertisements where ACG is offering swatting as a service. That is what, as you say, the earlier piece was about. This is more the very, casual nature uh and like the frequency at which people are doing swatting i mean i think um before the podcast maybe maybe a day or so ago we were talking on on slack and you you mentioned that swatting used to be about you know targeting particular people targeting Mm -hmm. like a particular twitch streamer who annoyed the swatter or whatever and that still happens but this is now on a much grander scale where they're just every day just calling schools for some reason, you know, and they, they may not even go to that school. In fact, I kind of doubt they do. All right. Cyber listeners want to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. All right, let's move on to a story that you wrote in May. Um, it is the title of the whole stream. Um Customs and Border Protection has an AI tool that it is using to scan social media. Uh, who is being scanned here? How does this how does this thing work? So the people potentially being scanned uh, scanned here are just travelers to the US. You know, we got this uh, privacy threshold assessment. I believe that's what it's called. There's a few different terms, but it's a PTA. And this is an internal DHS document and it lays out, hey, we want to do this program and this is how it's going to impact people's privacy. And in there, it says it's going to impact U.S. citizens, uh, or sorry, U.S. persons, which includes U.S. citizens and people with a green card, uh, and non-U.S. persons and refugees and asylum seekers. So that's basically everybody, <laughs> which is not to say that Customs and Border is reading the tweets of every single person that comes in, right? Uh, you, when you go through the document, it mentions stuff like ESTA, which is sort of the tourist visa of America, right? 
Um, so, you know, that can be implicated. But then again, the mention of refugees and asylum seekers is going to touch on them as well. So it does seem to be broad. Yeah. So what, how does this work exactly? Do we know this is a, a tool called Babel X? Is that right? Yeah. So the tool is Babel X made by a company called Babel Street. And we've covered them for a long time because they also sell location data that we'll get into. But this is their more OSINT tool, open source intelligence tool. So it will scrape social media, you know, that's Facebook and Twitter and Reddit and all the normal stuff, then some more obscure things as well. It will also touch on the the deeper and the dark web and basically allows an analyst to search all of those much more easily you know they don't have to go and fumble around with an account maybe an undercover account they don't have to keep switching between the sites they can just enter an identifier be that a name an email address or a phone number and they all get back a bevy of information uh allegedly linked to that person or linked to that identifier in some cases including a social security number which especially stood out to me how, where are they scraping a social security number from? Do we have any idea? So the document doesn't say the specific place, but it does say that Babel Street makes use of private partnerships. And my read on that is that they buy it from a data broker. You know, like, and I'm not saying it's these specifically, I'm just saying these as, as a way of example, but like a TransUnion, Expedia, that, that sort of realm of data broker that does have access to SSN. Yes, you're, you're, they're not pulling your SSN off Facebook. They're getting it from some sort of um, third-party private data uh, broker. Now, you know, arguably you could, people could say, well, what's the difference? You know, because I'm just, the, the issue is really the data broker selling the SSN, right? I, I don't know. When you have a, a tool or an interface like this that can bring all of that information together and potentially automate it and it seems feed it into other dhs databases that's what it says where results will get taken and saved into a dhs database that's qualitatively something else you know it's almost greater than the sum of its parts do we have any idea what it means when it says that it can scan the dark and deep web my read on that is that it's just scraping. <laughs> you know, gotcha. they've, set up, they've set up them some servers and because this is generally how dark web monitoring companies work. I don't know specifically Babel Streets, but this is how they generally work. Set up a server. Uh, we're going to scrape, you know, a Silk Road like forum uh, or when it says uh, dark, dark net or dark web, that can also mean, you know, those sorts of private databases as well you have to pay access to and it also advertises itself as being ai powered is that also just kind of like a a side hype thing potentially a little hype but i do think that they are making concrete moves on that as in babel street acquired recently a, a like a text analysis company that does appear to use ai now you know I'm not saying they're using chat GPT. That's not how they seem to be using AI here. It seems to be how they're deploying AI in some form 
rudimentary or potentially advanced to analyze all of the content coming in. And Babel Street especially emphasizes that they can show the links between identities and people and other people. And that's another acquisition they did. They acquired a company that is very much designed to map out someone's social network by this person's connected to this person, connected to this person. And you can imagine how valuable a DHS analyst is going to find that if they can just type in something in the border and potentially bring up somebody's entire family and friends, you know. Just have an amusing uh, aside here from chat from uh, Beatmaster. Your Honor, the AI was hallucinating all all my chat posts in the Vice Twitch stream, I swear. Um, so this, this, this brings up a nightmare scenario to me. Uh, I think you've kind of already alluded to it where, you know, your posts follow you your entire life, where maybe you're someone that has... Uh, had some things online, you're, you're, you're scraping stuff out, not even stuff that's like bad or problematic or illegal, but just like you're scraping your social, you're, you're removing all your social media, you're deleting everything. Um, unbeknownst to you, a company like BabelX has come through 10 years ago and scraped everything and added you to a slurry pile. And now there's a database out there, a government that the government has access to that has all this old information, Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would love to know some more specific cases where BabelX has been used. And obviously, we will keep an eye out for that. But I think you can you can just simply look at the sort of scrutiny, uh, scrutiny that people like sex workers get at borders, generally speaking. You know, they can just be flat out denied entry to countries because we went through your Twitter and we don't like what we see, you know. And, you know, not everybody coming coming in and using and being exposed to this tool is going to be a sex worker. But that is the sort of threat you can easily see when, as you say, all of your posts may be collected up and archived at some point. We don't know how big uh, specifically Babel X's sort of data, data banks are, but, you know, I'm sure it contains content that was posted then deleted just by virtue of how much stuff people um, do eventually delete. And connected to this, we're also talking about a thing called another product they have called Locate X. Uh, what exactly is this? So Locate X is the Babel Street product that we focus primarily on before because it's basically about my favorite topic: location data harvested from smartphones. This is you'll have ordinary apps installed on your phone. You know, we did one about a Muslim prayer app. Uh, there's sometimes a weather app or video games, that sort of thing. And lots of these apps will sell their users' location data to middlemen or straight to companies uh, in the contracting space. Basically, after that long supply chain, that location data can end up in tools like LocateX. Now, that make that that's already very interesting in its own right. You know, oh, well, I want to look up if there are a ton of phones crossing this particular point of the border you know, between Mexico and the US, which is what we understand DHS, you know, especially ICE has done with this sort of data. But when it comes to Babel X and it has all of that other stuff like name and social security number, there is at least the heavy suggestion that LocateX can be paired with that sort of data. Uh, I haven't seen, you know, a dossier compiled by Babel X, but that's the context in which the, in which LocateX is presented in this document we got. Well, I mean, it would make business sense, right? Why wouldn't you connect the two things if you were selling them as a, you know, like that it would just be good business from their perspective, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And the 
advertising is supposed to be anonymous on mobile devices. You know, you have your ad ID, which is the Apple identifier or the Google one. Um, but as we've covered before, there is an, an entire other ecosystem of companies whose entire job is shattering that and ad, that anonymity. They try to link that ad ID to an email address or a hashed email address. And from there, it's only a few other steps to start getting all of the, all of that other data. So what did the Department of Homeland Security say when you reached out to them about this? What was their response? The very normal sort of, we follow all procedures. Um, we're not doing anything untoward with this, which is exactly what I expected. And, you know, to be clear, we're not alleging any laws have been broken here. We're not even necessarily alleging that the data is being used inappropriately, but the scale of who it could impact is certainly newsworthy. You know, with that privacy threshold assessment ticking US persons, non-US persons, refugees, asylum seekers, I mean, that's everybody. You know? Yeah, that's everybody. And the, the ones they're looking at often are in a very vulnerable position, right? Refugees, asylum seekers, you know. Uh, so let's move on to Ring. We have a follow-up for something that we've been following for years. Uh, FTC orders Ring to pay $5.8 million in refunds for surveilling customers failing to stop hackers. This is another thing you reported out this week. What exactly happened here? Yeah, so this just came out recently. The FTC uh, filed a complaint against Ring, the obviously Amazon-owned surveillance uh, cameras, surveillance camera company. Uh, and they said, among other things that um, Ring failed in protecting its cameras, its users' cameras and their accounts. Uh, and I'll go into that in more detail in a sec. And then that employees at Ring had basically unfettered access to customer live streams, maybe archive videos, that sort of thing. So the fine is in response to that. And there's also the additional part where they're ordering Ring, you cannot profit from any of the unlawfully accessed videos, you know, by the employees. Maybe they went through to to dig through the footage to make a new algorithm. They're saying you can't do that. And they're also saying you have to do a security and privacy program that will tighten um, all of this up. But this all relates to when we and others, but we especially reported heavily on at the time in 2019 when hackers broke into um, Ring cameras. And it, it even says in the FTC complaint, you know, in December, I think, 2019, various media outlets started reporting on these issues. We actually, when hackers broke in to the accounts and they started viewing people through their various cameras and abusing them and harassing them, we covered that. We found a podcast where criminals were live streaming that audio and that footage. And then we also bought a ring camera ourselves to be like, well, let's see how crappy the security is. And, and, and it was awful. You know, there was no, there was no rate limiting, which is when I keep trying password combinations over and over and over. Usually websites will stop you doing that. Ring didn't bother doing that. It allowed connections over the Tor anonymity network, which although that gives privacy benefits, make it very easy for criminals uh, and then a bunch of other stuff. And then basically the FTC report points to all of that. <laughs> so, you know, the FTC agreed with us basically. It's funny. I was going to ask this. My understanding of the hack was that this is one of the situations where somebody left a back door open 
uh, and everyone was able to kind of flood through, but it sounds like it was much wider than that. Much more well, systemic. Yes, that's an interesting thing that, that came up in the complaint. When we originally reported it in 2019, it was more a handful, maybe a few dozen, at least on the on the face of it, accounts that were compromised. And it's important that the cameras themselves weren't being hacked. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to push malicious firmware into the camera. It was like, we're going to use your email and passwords that got include some other breach, break into your Ring account, which is linked to your camera. And you can see how that already makes it a squishier target, right? But yes, at the time, it seemed like dozens, whatever, it was coming up in local media reports. Uh, the FTC complaint says that 55,000 US uh, customer accounts were compromised with something like 1,000 of those accounts then having another step of harassment. That is way more than what at least what I understood in, in 2019 at the time. Yeah. And that's an incredible amount of people that were affected. Um, it also sucks because it sounds like, like $5.8 million is a drop in the bucket for Amazon. Right. That's nothing. It, it's nothing. It's nothing. And it's, it's, and it's more, at least my understanding, it's more in refunds. It's not like, I don't know. You have to you have to pay the FTC X Y Z. You know, what I mean, it, it, it's it's not like when we reported on location data and telecoms selling to bounty hunters. You know, each telecom was fined like two hundred million dollars by the FCC, and they have and that's still a drop in the bucket for the telecoms, but it wasn't in in, in refunds. You know, and then this is just five point eight million in refunds, whatever. But I mean, I guess the security privacy program is something, and that is a government oversight body telling a private surveillance company, you you have to do better because you did a very crappy job here. So can I ask you about one more story that we I don't have on the list, but I just want to get your read on very quickly. It is something that you reported out. Um, as long as I report it. <laughs> it yeah, it was, something, it was something that you wrote. It's the thing you just most recently published. It just caught my eye today uh, with the caveat right. that I have not read this yet. Uh, uh-huh. Russian FSB accuses... Uh, the U.S. of hacking thousands of iPhones in Russia. What what is going on here? So I'm not going to lie. This is fascinating. It is developing. More stuff will come out. I'm sure all the cybersecurity researchers <laughs> that I know who I'm friends with have been assigned to this. In fact, I know that is the case. Uh, rather than telling you exactly what happened in the article, let me just tell you how it kind of came about first. It came about in that um, yesterday, Kaspersky Lab, the Russian cybersecurity company, they published a blog post saying, hey, we found that some of the iPhones of our own cybersecurity researchers have been targeted by very sophisticated malware. This has been happening since 2019, and it's, it's still going on. It's very notable when somebody finds iPhone malware, or at least signs of compromise of an iPhone, because they didn't get a copy of the malware. Um, that's very interesting because that's very hard to do. It's very expensive to do. This is just a country. So Kaspersky publishes that. And then maybe around the same time, maybe slightly before, but then journalists start to notice, huh, the FSB has just announced or alleged that U.S. intelligence hacked thousands of iPhones in Russia. Pretty weird. Those announcements, the announcements are coming out on the same day. Um, and obviously there's some speculation they're connected. I speak to Kaspersky and they point to another 
a third announcement from the CERT in Russia, which is like a cybersecurity uh, government organization. And that basically says, yes, these, these things are connected. So a lot of outlets ran with Kaspersky said it was hacked. Yes, that's interesting, but it's very much an infosec story. We waited a bit to connect the two things because it being part of a much broader campaign where potentially US intelligence involved is a lot more um, interesting. And, you know, NSA, whoever is actually behind this, and there's no firm attribution, it's just, you know, FSB alleging that it's the US intelligence. But if it is, if it is NSA, if it is US intelligence, they do this stuff all the time. They absolutely, that's what they have to do. But them getting burned or exposed is always a newsworthy event. We've had the leak of CIA hacking tools, Vault 7 by WikiLeaks. We've had Shadow Brokers, this group of weird cyber actors who dumped NSA tools online. Now, this isn't to the same level. Like, there's there's no NSA iPhone malware now out there in the wild. But cybersecurity researchers have found signs of compromise, and Russia is going crazy, apparently. I'm sure there will be more to report on that, and I'm very excited to talk to you about it when we know a little bit more. Uh, Joseph Cox, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber Today and walking us through all of these stories. Uh, If you like us, if you really like us, we are live streaming Cyber at 11 a.m. on twitch.tv forward slash vice, where you can see us record this podcast live and get a lot of extra stuff. We just had a great conversation about artificial waves and surfing. Um, And I may have rambled a bit too much about hypersonic missiles and the threat of nuclear war. If that sounds like something you're into, again, please follow us at twitch.tv forward slash vice. Joseph, thank you so much for coming onto the program. And I'm sure you will be back again in the very near future.